There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the cable TV network Comedy Central, which officially launched in 1991. I spoke about it with TV exec Art Bell, who chronicles his brainchild in the memoir Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Hey, Art, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. I wanted to, to chat with you because not only so much juicy TV history, but I think it'd be a good gift for the holidays this year. It's been such a down, you know, a somber year in so many ways. So reading about comedy history might be a good gift. What do you think? <laughs> I think reading about comedy history would be a great gift. I mean, there's a couple of things that make this a good, uh, a good holiday gift. One, it's funny. I mean, there's a lot of funny stuff in here. Two, it's, you know, it's a great behind the scenes look at television for anybody who's interested in either working in television or just think television's cool. Uh, and number three, you know, some great stories in there that probably, that people have told me they've repeated. They just couldn't believe what they were reading. So I think it's a really cool holiday gift. Oh, I think so too. Nice little stocking stuffer. Um, all right, well, let's, you know, let's start at the beginning. Take me back to the very start. Um, how do you come up with the idea to start a 24-hour comedy network? You know, there's other 24-7 news networks just pr pretty new at the time. But how do you get the idea and, and make that, what's that initial pitch to the chairman of HBO? It's really going back to my childhood when I started. I loved comedy. I was a comedy nerd from the time I was eight years old, watched it, listening to records, the whole, the whole thing, right through high school. Uh, never performed, but did a little bit, you know. Uh, but when I went to grad school, I ended up writing The Wharton Follies, which was a musical comedy review. And it reminded me how much I loved comedy. I didn't really want to go into writing comedy, but I thought, you know, comedy is so much fun. Maybe I should try and get a job in television and see what's happening there. So that's what I did. Uh, and I thought as I was writing the comedy and looking at getting into the television industry, hey, how come there's no comedy network? You know, that's where I'd really like to work because there's a lot of other 24-hour networks, as you pointed out, um, should be a comedy network, but there wasn't. So I really expected someone to start one any day. I got to HBO and I started talking to people about it. Now, when I went to work for HBO, I had nothing to do with programming. I was actually there because of my finance background. And... I kept telling people though about this idea I had for a comedy network and they kept saying, eh, not really. So one day I decided to pitch the head of programming at HBO figuring, okay, Bridget, if she likes it, then, you know, then we'll get somewhere. So I go in and I pitch her 30 seconds into the pitch. She says, stop. It's the worst idea I've ever heard. And let me tell you why. She said, nobody wants a 24 hour comedy network, plenty of comedy on the dial anyway, nobody cares. And, Finally, 
what decent comedian is going to be on a 24-hour comedy network? She said, Robin Williams isn't going. Whoopi's not going. Billy Crystal's not going. You know, it's just not going to happen. So I left. But I thought she was wrong, and I kept thinking about it, and I wrote it up. And as luck would have it, my boss's boss caught me working on it. And he <laughs> said, come on, let's go see the chairman. I said, right now? He said, right now. So we went in, and let me tell you, Michael Fuchs was one of the most powerful. He was the chairman, Michael Fuchs, one of the most powerful men in Hollywood. Uh, if I got into the elevator with him, I'd burst into a sweat, you know? Um, but there I am, no presentation materials, no preparation. I had, had no idea I was going and I pitched it. 15 minutes later, he said, hmm, sounds interesting, let's try it. So that's pretty much the story of how we got there. I mean, it wasn't, he didn't say, let's do it. He said, you know, do some research, let's figure it out. Give me another big presentation on what this could really be. And uh, there we went. So what, what exactly is your official, you know, job title at that point? You know, once, once he says, let's do it, he green, green lights the whole project. What, what is your, your position? Well, at that point, I was um, a director of new business development. And we had worked on a project called Festival, which was a failed pay TV channel designed by HBO. That was, this was the concept to have no sex, violence, and bad language. Because they found out that people weren't taking HBO because they didn't want that kind of that kind of entertainment in their home. So it failed pretty miserably and fairly quickly. So I had nothing to do. That's why I was writing up my idea for the comedy network. I figured I'd send it to Viacom or CBS or some other places around the city and try and get a new job and see if they liked it. But um, as soon as the comedy channel, HBO's comedy channel got started, I was made vice president of programming, which to me was perfect. I, nobody guaranteed me a job out of this whole thing. So I was really glad they said, okay, we want you working on it too. Um, and then, okay, so then you're in the early phases there. You know, you have, you launched the idea of a network. How do you decide whether it's going to be stand-up specials or original scripted content, or I guess, what's the word? Syndicated, you know, existing stuff that already happens. So I know early on, it you rerun some SNL and Kids in the Hall and that kind of thing. It, you know, going into it, I had two concepts. One was I wanted this to be you know, really a center, a showcase for comedy and really celebrate comedy as an art form in the industry and classic comedy and new comedy and stand-up comedy and everything. But I also knew that there were some financial realities. And one of the things I suggested was we could show short clips from movies and television, take the funny parts, you know, take a funny clip, the way people are doing and putting on YouTube these days. But in those days, no YouTube. So I said, let's do that. We can put them up on a promotional basis. And we got a lot of programming. And yes, as you point out, we had, it, we had some long form programming as well. So we started making a lot of clips. And unfortunately, about eight weeks before we launched, that was supposed to be about three quarters of our programming at launch. And we hit a legal snag and we couldn't use any of it. So I went into launch with almost no programming. Luckily, Mystery Science Theater 3000 had shown up in the mail, by the way, uh, <laughs> unrequested. <laughs> uh, and that was a lucky break because that was a, a great piece of programming that would have ended up nowhere else. Uh, but it ended up on us and it was really a showcase piece for us. Um, the other thing we found out pretty early on after launching was that stand-up comedy always played. So we up the amount of stand-up comedy. Remember, you know, programming a channel is a matter of trying things, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, doing more of what works. 
less of what doesn't work. And as I said, stand-up comedy was an instant grabber for our audience. And uh, so we put a little more of that on. Also in clip form and, you know, we had some specials as well. Gotcha. But how, how do those deals actually work out, though? Like, uh, how does SNL or Kids in the Hall license that out to you? Well, every situation is different. Kids in the Hall was actually uh, an HBO product. And of course, we were at HBO at that point. So getting that was, you didn't have to go too far to start the conversation. Um, as far as SNL goes, that was, that was a more interesting case because Lauren Michaels had never let the reruns from SNL be shown. They were all in the basement at NBC. The whole concept was it was live. So, you know, except for summer times when they'd rerun it, I guess, they weren't available. We had to go to Lauren and convince him that it would be a good idea to have this stuff on the, his, his show on, on the Comedy Channel, at that point, Comedy Central. So that's what we did. And uh, let me tell you, it was a tough negotiation and we paid a lot of money for it. I'll leave it at that. But it was worth it. I mean, it was such an important piece of product, such a, an important piece of comedy programming for Comedy Central to have. Well, honestly, it, it, your network is the first time a lot of us, including myself, growing up on this stuff, the first time we saw a lot of these segments. Like you said, SNL might have aired or Kids in the Hall might have aired before, but um, when, when it shows up on your network, I mean, it's the first time I, God, I still remember these are the names I know from Kids in the Hall. <laughs> I just like, I just crack up thinking about some of that stuff. So I love, uh, thank you for bringing all of that to us. Um, I know around the same time, Tell me, I know Viacom launched a rival comedy network called Ha that I don't even really remember. And I guess that's to your guys' credit. But what do you think um, set you guys apart from Ha? And then I, I believe you even uh, merged with them later, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the story goes like this. We um, decided to do the comedy channel at HBO. We were putting it together. My vision for it was the prevailing vision. You know, I wanted lots of different kinds of comedy on there, a lot of stand-ups. Um, we announced that we were going to do it at a big breakfast in LA. The day after we made our announcement, MTV networks announced they too were launching a comedy network and they were going to call it Ha the comedy channel. Now my suspicion is that they didn't have much more than a press release at that moment. And that's why they announced it a day later. So they put up Ha. Ha's concept was they, they were scrambling as well. They had a lot of sitcoms around and they were going to make it, you know, a little more sitcom oriented, a little more, uh, and, and also have some original comedy game shows. I mean, it was a little bit of a different concept. We liked our concept. We, they launched six months after we did, and that started what was called the comedy wars in the cable industry. The cable industry didn't want two cable channels about comedy. They wanted one. And they kept saying, look, we can't launch two. We, we don't want to pay for it. We don't have the room on our system and nobody cares. So, merge and they started saying that almost immediately the end of the year i thought comedy channel was you know beating the pants off uh, of ha they probably thought the same thing that they were winning but we merged and uh, that was that was a, a tough moment for me but we put we put uh we put the two channels together i was kept on the head of programming at um, my opposite number at ha was kept on and they put us in a room and said, okay, you guys figure out what this, this new comedy network's gonna look like. And you can't call it, huh? And you can't call it the Comedy Channel. Good luck. And that was, you know, that's how Comedy Central happened because we had to rename it. 
All right. So originally it was called the Comedy Channel. And then because the merger, it was Comedy Central. I never realized that. Cool. Yeah, that's right. I actually tell that story in the book. Gotcha. Also, that's how the name came to be. Great. Um, All right. Well, so you mentioned, you know, early a few minutes ago that, you you know, it was a lot. You tried to repackage a bunch of those clips, you know, Kentucky Fried Movie, some Mel Brooks. and, And there was that whole short attention span theater, which I guess, you know, like a talk soup would later imitate that kind of thing. Right. Um, talk about moving on, evolving from there. Um, I think one of your first big ones, I think it was 93. Um, tell me how Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher came about. I mean, that I think really put you guys on the map. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting story. Uh, Bill Maher had, you know, he'd done a movie. He was sort of a minor stand-up comic. He actually substituted for Jon Stewart, who was the host of Short Attention Span Theater. So we knew who he was, but I, you know, we didn't really know much about him. He said, look, I got a programming idea I want to pitch you guys. And we said, okay, we'll be out in LA. My partner, Mitch Semmel, who was my partner on programming at that time, um, said, we'll be out in LA. We'll, uh, you know, we'll meet with you and you can pitch the program. So we met at a diner and uh, he said, I want to do a talk show where people actually talk not where they talk about their movie or their book or some stupid thing and that nobody cares about. I want to do a talk show where people talk about real issues seriously, but you know, in a way that's entertaining, I'll provide the funny. He said, I'll be the funny and it'll be called politically incorrect because I wanted to, I want to go up to the line with this stuff and I want to cross the line. I want to get in trouble once in a while. And that was the pitch. And we, in the diner, bought it right there. We said, okay, you're on. And we, the funny thing is we didn't even know how much money we had for this thing or what it was going to cost or how we were going to do it. We just knew it was a good idea. And Bill looked like he was, he was the guy to do it. And uh, we put it on. It wasn't an initial success, but you know, six months into it, he found his footing, found the right producers and uh, it went on from there. It was great. Awesome. And then of course, I mean, who can forget the daily show? I believe that was a few years after politically incorrect thing. It was like 1996, the daily show launches first with Craig Kilborn, but then of course, John Stewart takes over and off to the races, you know, one of my favorite, favorite comedians of all time that, I mean, I, I feel like we're, we're sorely missing John Stewart's daily analysis these days. Um, but yeah, tell me about how the daily show came about. Um, I mean, I guess, is, I guess it's off the heels of politically incorrect. It's similar, similar style, but you know, tell me, tell me the, the genesis of daily show. I think the Daily Show, um, actually, yes, you're right. It's a little bit like Politically Incorrect, and that was a consideration because it was topical, and it was about current issues, and it was funny. Um, but in 1992, we did something uh, that really kind of started us in that direction as well, and that was we decided to cover the Presidential State of the Union Address live on Comedy Central, and that was, you know, that was a big deal. And we get, we, we, the, the idea was we'd cover it live and we'd have commentary, but it would be comedy commentary by some comedians. So who did we get? Al Franken. He was the first guy to do this. And Al Franken was terrific. I mean, he did it live. It was, it, it was very funny, but as you know, Al Franken, who went on to be a senator, um, was very smart. He was a Saturday Night Live writer at that time and love politics. So he was the perfect guy to do it. And at the end of the broadcast, we all looked at each other and thought, man, that was, that was beyond great, you know? And as it turns out, the press, who had not been our best friends necessarily, kind of looked up at that point and said, wow, 
Did you see what Comedy Central just did? That could be the future of comedy on television. I mean, that, now they're doing some good stuff. Uh, and we went on to additional political coverage. We, we covered the Democratic and uh, Republican conventions that year. John Stewart, by the way, was involved in that coverage and went on to cover the, the Presidential State of the Union address every year after that. I think that's the straight line you can draw um, to The Daily Show, to a daily uh, show dealing with issue, uh, news issues. Awesome. Thanks for that story. I, I had no idea that that's how it started. Yeah. Um, but man, I mean, that, what, a, what an important and, and impactful show every night. I mean, I'd say a whole generation got its news from Jon Stewart. And then, of course, launching from there, launching Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. Like, I mean, that show, the, the legions of followers and, and other careers launched off of that is just unbelievably impressive. Yeah, certainly something to be proud of. I, I, I will say I left around the time uh, that The Daily Show got started. Um, so I can't take a whole lot of credit for it other than, you know, putting the initial building blocks in place and being really pleased that Jon Stewart, who had hosted as, uh, Short Attention Span Theater, was the host. When he came in, I knew it was going to be successful. So, uh, yeah, and it did change the way a generation got its news. Okay. Um, all right. Well, then, so you say you left around there. I know there, there's a bunch of other, you know, programming and, and, and stuff that I, I'd like to talk about after your departure. But um, while, while we're on it, so you leave around mid-90s and around when Daily Show's starting. Right. Um, what what caused your exit? And, you know, why do, why do you say in the book title that, you know, you lost your sense of humor? <laughs> well, the reason I lost my, the, the whole lost my sense of humor thing actually came from what the, the moment we launched and the first six months. It, I got to say, people, people may think comedy launch was an immediate hit. That is so far from the truth. It was an immediate disaster is what it was. I mean, we got the worst reviews. We couldn't get an audience right away. And Michael Fuchs, the chairman of HBO, who had sort of bet his reputation on it a little bit, was livid. And he called me in three or four months after we launched uh, and said, you know, Art, it took a comedy channel to get me to lose my sense of humor. And I didn't laugh and he didn't laugh and nobody laughed. And I thought, man, this, this is serious. We, we got to get this thing. We got to get this thing working. I thought they were going to turn it off every day. That's why the first year and actually the first year after the launch was similar. I thought they were going to turn us off any day. Um, and it was, it was hard. I, of course, I never really lost my sense of humor and neither did Michael, but I just wanted to convey the difficulty. Um, as far as leaving the channel, uh, in 96, my boss was the president, was fired by the board. The board was half HBO and half MTV. And my, the president was an HBO guy. So it was MTV's turn. They brought an MTV guy in and he brought his own team so that he sort of fired the existing team. And that was, that included me. And uh, so you can imagine my disappointment <laughs> having worked so hard to, to get the channel to that point to uh to have to leave but that's show business i guess and uh, uh i went on to you know put my career back together and, and did some interesting things i was the president of core tv and worked at a bunch of other channels so everything was fine but i have to say it was you know it was really a shock when i was fired oh i'm sure and i talk um, about that i talk about it a lot in the book and again i think that's one of the one of the things that's interesting about my book, it's a memoir, it's not a history. So it's from my point of view and it's about how I feel and what I'm seeing and thinking as comedy is unfolding. So 
uh, people have told me that the, the ending of the book is very interesting uh, and, uh, and a very interesting insight into what getting fired is like. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can read it and prepare for our own firings one day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope you don't get fired. <laughs> That's my lame attempt at a comedy, but up against the master here. Um, all right, well, so by the time you left around 96, had you had building blocks, you know, initial meetings or anything about um, some of the shows coming up? Like, uh, I know Jimmy Kimmel, Win Ben Stein's Money, a game show, and the man show were about to pop for Kimmel and launch him. Had you uh, had any seeds of those? Well, Ben Stein had been on the network on some other, doing some other stuff. So we, you know, we'd work with him. Um, but again, that, that was developed as I was leaving. Um, the, the shows I was involved with that, went on to greatness include Mystery Science Theater 3000, Politically Incorrect, and you didn't mention Dr. Katz, uh, Professional Therapist, which was an award-winning show, animated show, that, uh, that had Dr. K Jonathan Katz playing a psychiatrist. Every week, a new comedian would come on and basically be on the couch. So many comedians had material that was about their childhood or about how unhappy they were, uh, and so it worked perfectly. The show was so good that my friend, uh, who's a television writer in LA at the time, said, it's the best written show on television. And I said, that's because these comedians have been working on the routines for you know, years to get them honed to that point. So, uh, but that was, that was really one of the shows I was very proud of. For sure, absolutely. Dr. Katz, have to get that in there. And then does that, I mean, that's your animated, that's Comedy Central's big first animated hit. Does that um, then inspire, you know, South Park to come about? Or I guess that was also a little bit after you, but at least, you know, you were there and founding this sucker. I mean, at least talk about the impact that South Park had on the network. No, I was actually there when South Park came in the door. South Park, like Mystery Science Theater 3000, showed up in the mail. Um, right, it was like a Christmas thing, right? They did, as a demo, a Christmas card, and they sent it to MTV and to comedy and to a few other places. As soon as MTV saw it, they said, okay, we're going to, we want this. We're going to make this happen. Um, comedy jumped in and said, no, 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 no. We want this. This is comedy. We can make a huge hit out of this. It's just going to fall into your comedy pile somewhere. And remember, MTV had just put their team in there. So I think they were happy to give it to comedy to, you know, to hand them an instant obvious success. So that's how that came about. We all knew it was going to be a hit. I mean, it, you, didn't, you didn't have to be much of a programmer to figure that out. The guys who were scared were the advertising guys. The, the head of advertising sales looked at it and went, oh, man, I know this will be a hit, but I don't know if I can get anybody to buy it. Because right. it was so profoundly just crazy, you know, and, and, and taking shots at, at everything. Oh, that and pushed really, the envelope about really, as much as any really show. Really pushing the envelope in a way that nothing on television had done before. I mean, attacking religion was not, uh, had not been seen too much before. So it was very, it was a risk on the part of Comedy Central. But I will say, the ad sales guys actually managed to sell it and the rest is history, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, well, uh, one, one more about, you know, I guess from the, from the time after your departure, but you're sitting back, you know, on the couch watching the baby that you, you, you know, it's like when they send them off to college, <laughs> you're sitting there watching your, your network blossom after you. Um, Chappelle's show, talk about the impact of that. I mean, I feel like that's, you know, we're at the turn of the millennium there, like 2003-ish. 
But how, how much did, did Dave help bring even wider demographics starting to watch the network? So I think, I think the brilliance of bringing Dave Chappelle in when they did and the way they did um, was that anybody who knew Dave and knew his act and knew what he was capable of knew he was a star. And anytime you can bring a star into a network, uh, you do it. The good news is Dave actually came to Comedy Central. I mean, the, the idea that we were at a point where we could get top flight talent and pretty much say, look, you can do what you want here. You know, we really want to, we really want, and again, I wasn't there, but I'm, I'm just pointing out that Comedy Central was really in the business of innovative comedy and in the business of taking chances with comedy in a way that most other networks weren't for a variety of reasons, including advertisers. Um, and also, by that time, Comedy Central had a, a built-in audience. I mean, it's not like they had to, you know, do... Uh, what we had to do early on to get people to notice the great shows we were bringing in, they had great shows so they could do what most big networks do and say, okay, we got a new show coming. We can put it behind some great existing show and, and throw our audience right into it. And that's how we'll make it a hit. And that's what they did. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, before we run anything that I didn't ask you that I should, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, anything else in the book that, 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 that I'm missing out talking about? <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, again, I think, I think what's interesting about the book and that what people find interesting about the book is that, first of all, comedy is hard. And, and secondly, the, you know, behind the, the behind the scenes look at a comedy television channel like that, people were really surprised that it was as rough and tumble as, as it was, that people got fired, that, pe that people expected comedy professionals to be comedy professionals. I didn't walk in as a comedy professional. That was extremely difficult for me. And again, it, it, it reads like, somebody said it reads like the perils of Pauline or a mystery. Every, you just, you're just watching this thing happen, wondering if it's actually gonna work and wondering if I am actually gonna survive the whole onslaught of trying to get this channel up and running. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's really, uh, for people interested in television or pop culture or comedy, it's really worth reading. Great. Um, I, I encourage everyone to pick it up. Again, it's called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor by Art Bell. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks. I, I just do want to mention that it's available at Amazon and your local bookstore. If you, uh, and if you want to find out more about me or the book, you can go to Art Bell author. I'm sorry, artbellwriter.com. That's my website. Gotcha. Hey, you know, what are you doing these days? Are you working on anything else? Are you sort of, you know, just focused on getting, pushing the memoir? Where do you live these days? You know, what's your deal now? <laughs> well, it's, uh, I am continuing to write. I like writing and I continue to write memoir, although I am writing fiction. I've written short stories, gotten a couple of them published, I'm pleased to say. And someday maybe there's a novel there. I like writing fiction. So we'll see what's happening with that. I also play drums and piano, so I'm busy. And the book promotion takes up quite a bit of time, but I'm finding that's really, really interesting. Uh, and I really enjoy it. So that's, that's all good. I live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, we'll be moving to Park City, Utah in June. That's pretty much my story. Thanks so much. I, I think our listeners are really gonna appreciate this. So I really, really appreciate you taking so much time with us. Jason, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.